Good morning. How does everyone do today? Good? Let's try this. Uh, I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right. Well, my name is Eric. I get to be the pastor here. And just want to say, uh, again, good morning. Welcome. We're glad you're here. We're kicking off this new series, uh, Bless This Home. We're going to be looking at uh, the Beatitudes, which come from Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And how do we apply those truths to our lives? Because the reality is, probably if you're like me, those first couple of homes sound a lot more like your home than the last one. And so we want to move and say, how do we get more blessed in our home? How do we align our families to be more like Christ? And we, that's our goal. Uh, and so a couple of things. We like to give tools. Uh, we don't want to just give you a bunch of information on a Sunday morning. We want to help you actually have a life of transformation where you can take these truths that you learn here today uh, throughout your whole week. And uh, so uh, we have 20 copies of these, this book called uh, Raising Accountable Kids. It's our gift to you. If you're a parent, you want some more tools, grab one of these free. It's our gift to you. Um, we have people that give generously to our church so that we can give generously to those in our community. Uh, full disclosure, my uh, father-in-law is a semi-famous author, John Miller. He's sold over a million books. And uh, he and my mother-in-law wrote this book on parenting. Uh, but it's actually a really, really good book. They've raised seven kids, um, just have, have a lot to offer. And it's really about how do you help your kids have a life of personal accountability and responsibility by eliminating procrastination, victim thinking, blame. Uh, how many of you who have kids, you would love to eliminate those things from their lives? Yeah, a few of you? Okay, good. Yeah, me too. So it's our free gift to you. Uh, my father-in-law donated the books to us, so we can give those away uh, at no charge. Um, and so that's just our gift to you uh, is these books. So go ahead and grab one of those on your way out on the resource table. Uh, and again, like uh, Jeremy said, uh, note sheet. If you want to take some notes, again, we, our, our goal is not just to give you some information, but to hopefully give you uh, some tools that you can take and you can discuss with, with your spouse or some friends in, in a small group environment. And then as we get these truths down into our heart, that allows the, the Holy Spirit the opportunity to change and transform our lives. Uh, so let's do a little participation here. How many of you would like to have your homes and families be blessed? Raise your hand. All right, almost everyone. So, uh, yeah, I think that's all our goal. Uh, if you don't have your hand up, I guess you want your home to be cursed. That's okay. We can talk about that later. Um, but I think we all want our homes and our families to be blessed. But the reality is for many of us, we probably wouldn't say, man, my family's so blessed right now. You know, instead we might say, man, parenting is hard. Or, you know, man, I thought my marriage, it could be so much better than it is right now. Or I'm a single parent, and it is hard to be a single parent. Or just, man, financially in our home right now, it's just things are tight. And that's the reality for many of us today. And admittedly, things are harder today. Here at Mosaic, we have a lot of blended families, which is awesome. But that comes extra challenges when you're raising your kids and his kids and our kids together. And there's exes involved, and it gets very complicated. Uh, here at Mosaic, too, we have about a dozen single parents. And I know that can be very challenging when you're trying to support a family on, on one income. And there's only one of you to carry the whole load and do all the discipline of the kids. It can be really overwhelming. So how do we meet all these challenges that our families are facing today? That I think raising kids, uh, being married, just having a household is probably more complicated than it has been in the past. So, so what do we do? How do we move into the blessings of God that we all want for our families. Well, we're going to spend the month of February, like I said, looking at uh, probably the most famous sermon that Jesus gave. It's called the Sermon on the Mount and this section called the Beatitudes. And it's really saying, how do we apply these truths to our life where Jesus says, if you do this, then you will be blessed. If you do this, then you will be blessed. And as we apply these truths to our lives, 
I think we will find that we will be blessed. Now, I know some of you are going to say, okay, I'm not married. I don't have kids yet. Is this series really going to apply to me? And I'd say yes. Number one, if you don't have kids yet, uh, this is a great time to start to get these truths down into your heart so that you can be ready for when God blesses you with kids. Uh, and even if you don't, never plan on having kids or are being married, I think there are some great truths in this section of Scripture called the Beatitudes that no matter where you are in life, it's going to resonate with you. So I just want to give a quick rundown of where we're going to go in this series over the next couple of weeks. Uh, next week, we're going to look at what Jesus said when he said, Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And we're going to learn how, to, how do we guard our hearts, how do we teach our kids to guard their hearts so that they can be blessed. Because the reality is there's so much filth in the world that can come in and poison our hearts. So we say, okay, if our heart is the wellspring of life, how do we guard our hearts? Uh, then in week three, we're going to study what Jesus says when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Everyone say peacemakers. Peacemakers, peacemakers. yeah. Uh, we all want to be peacemakers, right? But the reality is we're surrounded by peace takers a lot. Isn't that true? Uh, people who just kind of take the peace out, out from us, or maybe it's our, 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 uh, our kids, maybe it's the person sitting next to you. Um, but we want to learn how to be peacemakers, not peace takers, uh, because I think uh, that's our goal, that everyone else wants our homes to be places filled with peace. So how do we do that? And then week four, we're going to wrap up and look at what did Jesus mean when he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we're going to say that, okay, if we want to live our lives in a way that's different than the rest of the world, then we might take some shots when from family members or neighbors when we're making some decisions on how we manage our time or our finances, when they say, what do you mean you don't have activities for your kids every single night of the week? When you say, no, we're going to stay home or we're going to take a semester off from sports because we know that's what our kids need right now. And you may face some ridicule or some persecution. Or when you say, no, you know, we're going to spend our time this way or, or that way. Or, you know, whatever decisions that you make, uh, as you follow the call of God, you may get some people in your life who just don't understand why you're making those decisions. So that's what we're going to be looking at uh, in week four. And during this whole series, I'm going to try to be really transparent. I'm going to try to tell you, hey, here's some things. Just, uh, I've been married uh, 12 years, and we've got uh, three kids, and here's things that helped. But also, here's some things that I'm learning, I'm studying, and I'm trying to apply it, and we are not perfect in this. Because the reality is, Kristen and I, uh, we are just in the same situation as, as, as you. We're, we're all in this together, learning how do we have homes that are blessed. You know, just because I'm a pastor, it doesn't mean that like when my kids are acting up, you know, I start to sing a hymn and they just start, you know, worshiping alongside. It isn't like that. Sorry to burst your bubble. Like, no, like things can get a little crazy at home. And so uh, this series is just as much for me, um, as any one of you, I would like to say none of us are perfect, and we're cool with that because uh, we are all forgiven and accepted through Christ alone. Amen? Uh, so ready? Let's dive into our scripture today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, you can follow in the scriptures here. Like Jeremy said, follow in your Bible app, Matthew 5, verse 6. Uh, before we read today's scripture, would you just join me in prayer? God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. Thank you for this chance where we can uh, look at uh, this part of Scripture called the Beatitudes. Uh, God, our desire is that our families, our homes would be blessed, that we would live in alignment of the way, God, that you've created us to live. So, Lord, we ask that these truths would come and penetrate our hearts, our minds, our spirits, our souls. Uh, God, that uh, we would learn to hunger and thirst after you, 
Uh, God, that you would change our appetites to be more in line with uh, the way you've created us to be. Uh, be with me now as I speak. Let these be your words and not mine. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, Matthew 5, verse 6. Uh, short scripture today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus is saying that when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be satisfied. We will be blessed. And yet so many of our homes were, are, were filled with people who are never satisfied, but we're searching and striving for something that's going to bring meaning to our lives. Why is that? Why is it that we're, we're filled with emptiness and not satisfaction? I think ultimately we spend so much of our time chasing things that ultimately don't matter. So we're not as blessed as we could be because we're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Well, first we need to define righteousness because that's kind of one of those big churchy sounding words. And it's like, I think I know what this means, but I'm not entirely sure. Uh, righteousness means integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. Jesus says that those who hunger for living uh, this way will be satisfied. It's hungering to live after the way that our creator God has designed us to live. Righteousness is totally different than self-righteousness. That's not what we want, self-righteousness. When someone is self-righteous and they're puffed up in their pride. Instead, we want a righteousness that comes from God. It's trusting that our God, who is a good, good father, has good things planned for us. So when you hear that word righteousness, I want you to think, the good things that God has planned for me when I live in alignment with how my creator God designed me to live. The good things that God has for me when I live in alignment with the way that our creator God has designed me to live. It's the art of right living. So here's a question I want to ask myself and, and each one of us. And I want to dare you to be really honest. In your home, what are you hungry for? You can write that down. In your home, what are you hungry for? In your life, what are you pursuing? What matters most to you in your home? If you have kids, how are you leading your kids? What would they say your family is pursuing? What would your kids say that you are hungry and thirsty for? I gotta be honest, I don't always find myself hungering and thirsting after the things of God. There are other things that lead me away from that. I think it's easy uh, to make it even just somewhere simple. Just look at the last week, the last seven days. What have you spent the last seven days hungering and thirsting for? Maybe it was tickets to the Super Bowl. You know, that's okay. But what is it you are hungering and thirsting for in your family? If you're like me, you can often get sidetracked by other things. So what do we do when we find ourselves getting sidetracked, when we're hungering for the wrong things? What do we realize when our appetite for things that truly do not satisfy us or aren't the best for us? Well, we need to change our appetites. Uh, growing up, I was a really picky eater. Anyone else picky eaters? Yeah, Bradley, I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I didn't have a hamburger until I was like 14. Um, I didn't try Asian or Chinese food until I was a senior in high school. And I was like, what have I been missing my whole life? It was like peanut butter sandwiches, spaghetti, fish sticks, you know, pretty basic stuff. And for the longest time, I was the pickiest eater I'd ever met. And then my two sisters married guys that are pickier eaters than me, uh, Jordan and Chris. And uh, I've been astounded at how picky they are. And it's made me feel like I have a very wide-ranging palate, which is great. 
Uh, Part of it, too, though, is as I got older, I started trying more foods. As I got married, uh, my wife encouraged me strongly to try different foods and try a salad. You might like it. I do like salads, you know. And uh, as you get older, you know, you try sushi for the first time. You're like, oh, this is actually amazing. Certain kinds of sushi. Other ones, not so much, you know. Uh, Still haven't tried unagi. I'm a little scared of eels. Um, But, you know, but part of that is your appetites change. And the thing is that we can change our appetites. You don't have to always be a picky eater. You can change your appetites. And the same thing is true when it comes to our spiritual life and what are we pursuing. Jesus says that we can hunger and thirst for righteousness. Even if for most of your life you've been hungering and thirsting after these other things, that you can change your appetites. And here's the thing. If you start pursuing God and you start seeking God, Suddenly you're going to see the benefits of walking by the Holy Spirit and being powered by his presence and his power. You can change your appetites so you begin to hunger after the things of God. How many of you have ever tried doing something like, like the Whole30 Challenge or, you know, paleo eating or some, one of those things? Just a, not many. Really? Praise and proud. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to, like, be shy because you gave up. That's okay. <laughs> you know? Like, it's the Whole30, not the whole life. Anyways, um, at least for me. But... The truth is that when you start to eat foods that are really good for you and give you good uh, fuel for your body, when you start to eat, then you try like pepperoni pizza and you're like, oh, I feel terrible right now. I have a headache. I feel like I've been hit by a truck. You know, because uh, the more that we fill our body with good things, the way our bodies are designed to run, then we, we have an appetite for those things and that junk food doesn't taste as good. It's the same thing in our spiritual life, in, in our families. The more that we pursue the things of God, which just means living in alignment with the way that he's created us to be, uh, the more those things will, will taste good to us. And, and then when we, we do other things that aren't in alignment with the way God's created us to be, like, oh, I don't feel good about that. So we want to learn how do we change our appetites to hunger and thirst after the things of God. And uh, to do that, I want to tell you what doesn't work. Uh, what doesn't work uh, to change the appetites in our homes? And then I'm going to talk about a couple things that that do work. And so if you're taking notes, you can write these down. Number one, what doesn't work is legalistic Christianity. Legalistic Christianity. What's legalistic Christianity? That's when we reduce Christianity in our homes to a bunch of do's and don'ts, cans and can'ts, shoulds and shouldn'ts, oughts and ought nots, don't do this, don't do that. If you're a good Christian, you're always going to be right. Uh, Maybe if you're like me, you grew up saying, you know, whatever you do, kids, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't hang around with kids who do. You know, that's like the essence of Christianity, like just, you know, just all external rules. And that's, many of us, um, even if our parents didn't intend it, and we came from good churches, that's kind of what we internalized, was that uh, this relationship with God is all coming down to a list of rules. And as long as I keep the rules, I'm fine, and, and kind of like, I, I can keep God off my back, and he won't, he won't strike me down, because I'm keeping these rules. But the reality is legalistic Christianity doesn't work. It doesn't change our appetites to actually hunger and thirst after God. We're just trying to keep these rules so that someone won't smite us from heaven. And legalistic Christianity does not work. See, the problem is, you can write this down, is that problem is rules without relationship leads to rebellion. That rules without relationship leads to rebellion. The same is true in parenting. That if you just establish some rules, and the only thing you ever tell your kids is, you need to obey me because I'm in charge, and there's no relationship with your kids, it's ultimately going to lead to rebellion. The same is true with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That if we just have rules that we're trying to obey, without any kind of relationship, 
Eventually, it's going to lead to rebellion. And so if we teach our kids that Christianity, that following Christ is just a bunch of rules, we don't teach them to pursue a relationship with God. Ultimately, at some point, it's going to lead to rebellion in their life. So legalistic Christianity does not work. What else doesn't work? Lukewarm Christianity does not work. Lukewarm Christianity. So what's that? That's when we believe in God, but we really live as if he doesn't exist. It doesn't really change the way we live. It's cultural Christianity. How do you know if you have a lukewarm Christian home? Uh, The truth is, I I can't judge your faith. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you for sure if your home is characterized as being lukewarm. But I want to share some things that if I saw these things going on in my family, that I would start to get a little concerned. These would be warning bells that maybe I'm leading my family into kind of a lukewarm Christianity. For example, if I can't tell you the last time that we prayed together as a family, then I'd be a little concerned we're kind of a lukewarm family. And not just, you know, rub-a-dub God, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, let's eat. You know, not those kind of prayers. But actually coming together as a family and saying, you know what, I heard that, you know, so-and-so from our church and our small group, you know, they're struggling with cancer or this thing. You know, come on, kids, we're, we're going to gather around and we're, we're going to stop and we're going to pray for them right now. It's coming together and, and teaching our kids that we can pray for miracles, that God really moves, that God really answers prayers. And no matter how young our kids are, that we can invite them into that. And if, if I can't remember the last time that we actually prayed for something real, some big, bold prayers together as a family, then I'd be a little nervous that we're kind of nudging towards that that spiritually lukewarm place. You know, if I can never say to my family, hey, I was reading my Bible app today or in my Bible, and this verse was, really resonated with me, I just want to share it with, with you, spouse, or my kids. Or, hey, you know, I was at the gym today or at Starbucks, and I, I had a conversation. I was able to share a little bit of my faith and have a great conversation. If I'm never able to do something like that, I might be a little concerned we're heading towards a place of being lukewarm. Or, you know, hey, I prayed about this, and God answered my prayer. He, he didn't answer my prayer the way I, I wanted him to, but hey, he still answered my prayer. And I'm talking to my kids that God does answer prayer. If I, I'm not doing that, sharing that kind of stuff with my family, then I'd, I'd be worried that we're heading towards this being lukewarm. You know, if we, if we never tell our kids, hey, you know, we're watching this show, and, you know, we need to change the channel, because this really isn't something that's, that's filling our hearts up with the way that God's designed us to be. Or if we're not fast-forwarding through certain commercials or things like that, if, if we're, we're never guarding kind of what is entering into our, our family's minds and hearts, and we're going to talk more about that next week, then I'd be a little concerned that we're heading to be a lukewarm family. If we never say, you know, God has blessed us so much. We're just, we're, we have more than we need. You know what, we're going to use some of my vacation time. We're going to go on a mission trip, and we're going to go to serve some people, you know, in another country. Or, you know what, I'm going to use some of my days off to serve other people on a Sunday morning. Uh, Sunday's one of my days off, you know, maybe for some of you, and you're like, you know what, we're blessed, and so once a month, I'm going to give back because we're so blessed, and so we can make a difference in other people's lives. If we're not saying those things to our family, I'd be a little nervous. We're heading towards being lukewarm. And Jesus said in Revelation 3, I'd rather you be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, he says, he's going to spit you out of his mouth. You know, uh, those things simply don't work. Being lukewarm Christianity, legalistic Christianity does not work. So what does work? How do we lead our families to hunger and thirst after righteousness so that 
our homes, our families can be blessed. Well, write this down. This is the pledge I want us to internalize, to say we are not just a Christian family. Instead, we are a Christ-centered home. We are not just a Christian family. Instead, we are a Christ-centered home. Now, on first glance, what's the big difference, Eric? It sounds the same. Well, but there is a big difference. So you can just call yourself a Christian, but that doesn't mean you're actually following Christ. It doesn't mean that Christ is the center of all that you do. You can call yourself a duck, and you may be able to quack, but unless you can fly and lay an egg, you're not a duck. You're just a weird person who's quacking, okay? And so we want to not just be labeling, hey, we're a Christian family. We actually want to be a Christ-centered home. We want to say Jesus, Jesus isn't just a part of our lives. He is the center of our lives. Our home is characterized by being Christ-centered. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who believe in Jesus when it's just convenient for them or, you know, when it's just kind of okay. It's blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness after the things of God, after aligning our hearts with the way that our creator has created us to be. If we don't hunger and thirst for God, then we can change our appetites. I love the way that David, the great warrior, poet, king, says this uh, great songwriter in Psalm 63.1. He says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I love that language of David. He says, it's not just like, hey, I'm going to, you know, love God when it's convenient. It's, hey, God, I believe that you can provide everything that I need in my heart, my soul hungers, it thirsts for you. It's every moment of every day, every bit of me longs for you, Jesus. That's how we start to build, not just a Christian family, but a Christ-centered home. And we can pray, God, change my appetites so that my desire is for Jesus to pursue the things of God. You might say, okay, I can pray that, but I don't even know where to start. What, what do I do? Well, let me give you just a couple examples, and there are lots of different ways to do that, and here's just a couple that I came up with. Uh, how to have a Christ-centered home. Number one, if you're taking notes, you can involve God in your daily conversations. Just make him a part of your daily uh, conversations as you're talking with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends. And maybe for some of you, this is a weird concept because, you know, you've always placed religion and God over here in a separate category. But the more you start doing this, the more natural it'll be. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9, a um, little background on this text. The people of God had, had, had grown up and expanded in Egypt as slaves for 400 years. And for 400 years, they had an evil empire uh, pressing them down and telling them how to live. And there was an evil uh, Pharaoh, who was basically God to them, and then God liberated them out of slavery and into the promised land. And, and as they're going, God is teaching them how to live. And, and, and they didn't know because they didn't know how to self-govern themselves. They didn't have any rules. And so God is giving them some, some boundaries. And here's how to live because this is all brand new information for them as, as a people of God. They'd only been told what to do, what to, you know, where to go, what time to raise as slaves. And so uh, 
when you're reading the Old Testament, you need to think through that lens when you're reading through all the commands of God. Uh, it's not just because God is mean or angry. He says, you are people who don't know how to self-govern. Here's some good rules. Like, don't kill the person next to you. Oh, okay, good to know, you know. And, uh, but this is all kind of new to them. And so that's why God gave the laws, to help people understand. But here's what he tells them uh, in this book of law, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, 9. And uh, the first part of this was, was called the Shema. And the people of God would actually recite this every single day to remind themselves. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And they repeat that every day. This is why we're here. Every morning, multiple times throughout the day, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently, diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down to go to sleep. When you rise in the morning, you get them ready for school. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand or tattoo on your wrist. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. God is telling them, earnestly teach your children what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. And what does that mean for us? That means as you're going through your everyday, ordinary life, as you're walking around in your daily conversations, it's bringing up God. It's in the morning. It's in the evening. It's when you're sitting down. It's when you're walking, putting up things, scriptures in your house, on the doorposts of your home so that your kids just see it. So it's just normal. It's just a part of your everyday life because we're not just a Christian family. We're a Christ-centered home. This means maybe, maybe in the morning, early on, you're driving to work and you see a beautiful sunrise. And maybe you might say, oh, that's awesome. Or you might even pray silently. And those are, that's great responses. But one thing you could do too is just to, you know, involve your kids and say, kids, isn't it amazing, the beautiful sunset or it's beautiful sunrise that God has given us? Isn't he a good God? And it's just those, those little things involving your kids, your, your spouse, to, to bring God into our everyday conversations. Maybe in your, in your marriage, you're facing some challenges and you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. Man, what are we going to do? Let's talk to our friends. Let's kind of research what the pros say we should do about this situation. Instead, maybe you say to your spouse, man, I don't know what to do. We have the situation at work. Let's pray about it. And right then you're, you're telling your spouse that we are Christ-centered home. We're going to involve and engage God in every little aspect of our lives. Uh, this week I, I was reading and studying, and, and there's a pastor down south, and he was talking about this. How do you engage your families uh, in just kind of an ongoing conversation about God just to make it natural? And, and I, I love this, so I, so I wanted to share what, what he said. He said, for years and years I've told my kids over and over again, look at how God has blessed us. You've all got great friendships, and we get to be part of a church that's making a real difference. And we've got a wonderful family. Look at the way God has blessed us. He says, I've, I've told my kids this years and years and years. And he's got five kids and they're little and old. He says, well, I heard my 12-year-old Sam talking to his friend the other day who was down. I overheard him in the other room say. So his 12-year-old's talking to his friend. And he says, hey, listen, this is the 12-year-old, look at all the ways God has blessed you. God has given you a new dad after your first dad left you. And God has given you two sisters who really, really love you. And hey, God has given you me as your friend. <laughs> Look at all the ways God has blessed you. He says, and here is my 12-year-old who thinks it's absolutely normal 
to minister to a friend by talking about all the ways that God has blessed him. And that's, that's, that's what it means to just involve God in everyday life, to say we're not just a Christian family, we're a Christ-centered home. That it's just so normal that your kids just, they just get it. They're just swimming in it, and, and they're able to share those truths with their friends. Just involve God talking to him just in your everyday conversation, just everyday life. Hey, isn't that a beautiful sunset God gave us? Hey, let's pray about this. Whatever it might be. Number two, uh, I'm going to step on some toes here, but that's what preachers need to do sometimes. Number two, make church non-negotiable. Make church non-negotiable. I know this is a tough to swallow, especially in affluent suburbs like ours when we have so many things to do and there's vacations and sports and all these things. But if you're Christ-centered home, what are you going to do? You're going to prioritize coming together as follow, with other followers of Jesus to make church non-negotiable. You tell your family, we're going to take a couple hours each week to honor the creator and sustainer of the universe who sent his son, Jesus, so that we could be saved and forgiven and adopted into the family of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25 tells us this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I'm not saying make this a religious thing. You can't miss church ever. You know, uh, sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting inside a garage makes you a car, okay? But coming together with other followers of Christ is one of the best things that you can do to model to your family we're a Christ-centered home. We are going to take time out of our schedules. We're going to rearrange our schedules so we can gather together. We can hear the word preached, that we can worship with other believers. I would say the same exact thing about your small group. Get in a small group. Make that a priority. And maybe I'll surprise you. If you have to pick, I would rather you make your small group a priority than here on Sunday morning. I think that is just a place, again, where you can gather other people in a circle. You can do life. Um, rows are great, but rows don't know. Your circles are what know. They can be praying for you. They can be encouraging you. They can helping you take your next steps. Make Sunday mornings a priority, but really, really make your small group a priority. You know, even if you got, oh, I'm not feeling great. I'm going to skip tonight in small group. No, make it a priority. Make your schedule go around your small group. And again, we have small groups on Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Saturday morning, Thursday day. If none of those times work for you, you might need to look at your schedule. <laughs> like, there's lots of opportunities to connect with others. Uh, this week, or a couple weeks ago, I uh, listened to a, a, a talk about the church. And I just want to share a couple of concepts. But the church is a family. And uh, the church is a family. We are a family. And we're here to help each other out. And what that means is, is this, is that we have to look at what's best for everyone in the family. Now, because you might say, you know what, Eric, I don't really need church that much. Like, I'm good. Come in once a month. And, uh, you know, you know uh, I can listen to podcasts. And do you know, like, all these famous preachers have their sermons online, too, and I can do that. And, you know, they're just, I don't really need this. But there might be someone here who needs you to be here. It's not just about our needs. 
Because there might be someone that you can relate to on a different way than anyone else. And when you aren't here, they don't have someone to put a hand on their shoulder to say good morning, to talk with them, to pray with them. There are kids back there that maybe need you to invest in their lives. Like I said, we have a number of kids who their parents are either separated or just have a single parent. Maybe God's calling 